Good morning, everyone. Uh, it is a very humid day here in Florida. Uh, Dr. Stillman will be joining me shortly. Um, testing out a new microphone setup today, as well as a new camera. So uh, let me know if anything's like extremely silly. Um, that would be very, very, very helpful. So the topic for today, what we're going to go over is I shared a couple articles. Dr. Stillman and I, you know, we chat a lot since we, we do share a place together. And he did not realize the horse deaths that they had. Uh, it was a while back here with the Kentucky Derby. They had to put like 12 horses down at Churchill Downs. And so he, he asked me if I knew about it. And I said, yeah, you know, obviously being from Kentucky, I trained a lot of horse people. I've got a lot of friends in the horse industry. And there's a couple other articles I shared down there. So um, this kind of relates to, um, we can relate this back to humans as well. Um, if, you're, if you're watching, go ahead and let me know if you can hear me okay. Um, if everything looks good. I know I'm kind of in the shade, so um, trying a new camera and a new microphone. So let me know if the audio is okay. That would be great. That'd be helpful. Thank you. But basically, we had they had all these deaths, deaths with these horses, and I've been in the I know a ton about the horse industry. Uh, one of my long term clients that I had for twenty years was head of turf catering, uh, which was uh, it was a thank you, thank you, Jennifer. I appreciate that. Um, turf catering, which is like a catering company for Keeneland, the racetrack, and is a family business. So his family had been in the horse business, the horse industry catering business and dealing, been around the horse industry for decades, decades and decades. And then also had a bunch of horse trainers I worked with that had horse farms. And um, it, it, it was interesting because we would talk. Um, thank you, Starlight. appreciate you commenting we would talk about the horse industry and a lot of the problems with the horse industry. And, and it relates a lot back to what's going on with humans as well, particularly kids. So now with, with these horses, they're judged on what they look like, not only how fast they run, but their appearance. And a lot of the older horse trainers would complain that these horses are coddled. They live in the barn all day. They don't get put out in the field. Um, you know, years ago, these horses would be out playing with each other. They'd be roughhousing. Um, they'd be doing all sorts of, uh, you know, out in the pasture, but now these horses and a friend, a good friend of mine, Jackie Jolie is actually a massage therapist for horses. Um, believe it or not. And, um, she's actually starting a company called Ecosol, which is basically creating red light blankets for horses and pets, you know, because as you know, people with pets, they, they live, you know, most pets live indoors and in air conditioning, they never go outside. So these, these red light products, but it, it, it goes back with kids as well. Like you're seeing a massive number of sports injuries now, like you've never seen before. And a lot of it is because kids don't play on their own. They don't spend enough time outside. They're in air conditioned homes. And then they go to a highly structured sporting practice. And these horses are the same. There's also an article I shared below called animal madness. And uh, it talks about what happens when you take an animal out of its natural environment, you put it in a zoo or they get depression, they get anxiety, they can't reproduce, you know, all the same things that are happening to humans now are basically being manifested in the horse industry, in zoos, um, 
and so it's really interesting and 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 jackie you can check her website out it's Ecosol. there's a link below in the in the description but it, it you know how do you get these horse people that are so concerned about how the horse looks at auction that they don't put the horses out to pasture to let the especially the young horses and they're also running them at a really young age um, and the same thing is with kids There's, we're specializing kids at such an early age they haven't had the ability to basically build preparedness to build the resilience in their body through play so that they can handle the high stress of high level performance good morning dr stillman good morning everyone how are you today sir I'm doing great. How's everyone doing? Drop it in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. They, they say my audio is, is good. So I'm trying out this new audio with the new camera. So. Oh, great. Yeah. I yeah. see your camera. It's enormous. Yes. It's large. Yeah. Well, anyway, like me. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a gym size camera. It's a gym size camera. That's yeah. true. So we were, we were just talking about, you know, we, no, I, we yeah, I, I, I heard. Yeah, and we see this all the time, right? I mean, and this is the thing that amazes us, and this is more what brought up this conversation topic this morning uh, between you and I before we jumped on here is that, you know, so many people are out there selling fear because fear sells on both sides of the aisle, conventional medicine, integrative, natural, alternative health. And there's a lot of truth to the scary things that you hear about everything from plastics to seed oils to whatever but you can't control any of that and the stress of fear is actually i would argue more dangerous to many people's health and well-being than the actual thing that they're afraid of and we have no way to really know this and this is one of the big problems with the fear uh with the fear i don't know beat if i call it that because what people don't realize and, and part of their anxiety about things that they're being told to be afraid of is that they can't quantify them. They don't know how big of a deal it is. So I just looked at some post today and it was like, oh, you got to stop using disposable, you know, cups that are lined with plastic and have a plastic lid, you know, such as you would get at the every single coffee shop on planet Earth, <clears throat> at least the ones in the United States. I don't know about the other countries. Uh, and it's a, there's so much plastic in them and this plastic this and plastic that. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, okay, but what does the plastic really do to me? How do I know this? How do I quantify that? And I'm not saying plastic in your body, in your foods and beverages is good for you. I obviously believe that limiting plastic exposure is wise. But at the same time, you know, is the one cup of coffee going through out of a plastic disposable cup going to kill you? You know, I'm still here. And I can tell you that it's not. Is it going to impact your biology over long periods of time? Of course. But so many people that we see who are talking about fear, they don't ever explain to people how to be healthy and well. They just sell them more fear. And frequently with physicians, what this turns into is selling them fear and then selling them procedures, selling them ozone, selling them, you know, high dose, high dose this or high dose that, selling them protocols. I have no problem with people doing that. But the problem is when somebody comes to me and they say, I've already seen so-and-so and such-and-such and this other doctor and this other doctor, and I went through this, that, and the other protocol, and I've already spent all this money. And basically, sometimes they'll literally not quite say this this way, but they'll basically say, can you do it on the cheap? Can you get me well without having me spend another five, 10 grand? Because I already went to fancy wellness doctor one, two, three, four, and five, and I basically blew my savings with them. And, you know, again, 
and have no problem with anyone selling people medical care. But we'll ha what will happen is as I interview them and I, as I talk to them, they make it very apparent to me that they have no fundamental habits that they need to be healthy. No one has ever talked to them about what they are actually eating every single day. No one has ever counseled them about everything from EMF to their light environment, to sauna, to light therapy, to how much salt they should eat, to this, to that, to the other thing. And then we take their case on, you know, remotely. We're doing a lot of coaching rather than doctoring. And we'll get better results than people who are running around sticking needles into people and infusing them with tens of thousands of dollars worth of whatever. And, you know, I just think it's putting the cart before the horse to go with really expensive stuff that comes in a bag or a box or a bottle when you can learn how to be healthy and a lot of your problems will disappear. And a lot of the things that I, one of the things that sparked this conversation between us today was, um, you know, the, the threat of potential nanotechnology, which, you know, I, I know nothing about. I know very little about nanotechnology. But just going back to the basics and the fundamentals, right? Uh, nanotechnology has to get into your body somehow. So regardless of whether you're afraid of viruses or bacteria or nanotechnology or toxins or any of the other things that could invade your body and make you sick and stupid and whatever, just focus on keeping your body healthy. And then all the orifices and membranes and structures of your body will be strong. And then they will do what they're supposed to do, which is protect you from all those things. And yet we have all these people coming to us who are like, I live indoors. You know, I have no idea what I'm eating and I don't know why I'm sick. And we're like, well, we're going to explain it to you and you're going to do these things. And if you do these things, you can reliably count on getting better. And if you don't want to do these things, don't count on getting well, because that's the power of the fundamentals. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's it's called first world problems, right? Mm. You know, 50, 70 years ago, uh, we didn't have to. Uh, horses did what they did. You know, mm -hmm. 50, 70 years right. ago, humans did what they did. They went outside and played. Right. You know, we've created this artificial environment, this artificial planet with artificial sun, uh, with climate controlled environments right. that have downstream side effects. Mm -hmm. And so the key is, is how do you get people to get enough of nature back into their life? Like, how do you convince these these horse trainers to let their horses pasture more, you know, let the horse develop for another year instead of racing it young, let the horses play outside, they might you know, they might get nicked up a little bit. Um, you know, if I'm if I'm buying a horse, I'm going to look for the horse that's nicked up a little bit because I know it's going to be more durable, right? I know it's it's played, it's been roughhoused. A lot of these horses look like exotic sports cars that are perfect, right? Right. So, you know, it's it's the same thing with humans. We've we've created an artificial world that doesn't really agree with our biology and makes our biology weak and vulnerable. So it's about systematically teaching people how to get themselves back out in nature, how to basically apply the appropriate stresses for our immune system and our biology so that it can be healthy to withstand a lot of this stuff that uh, is being thrown at us. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the key. And, and it's, it's really that simple. People just don't understand that the environment that they're spending 90% of their day in is causing the majority of problems for them from psychological issues to reproductive problems, blood sugar control, and you know, add the, the, the garbage foods. The mm. food industry has no incentive to make you eat less. Right. They're designing foods that make you eat more. Right. Um, and they're also, as I've mentioned before, I think on this podcast, you know, protein is expensive. 
whether it's vegetable protein, let alone animal protein. So the processed foods, they skimp on the protein, which is one of the reasons why one of our first things that we focus on with people is increasing their protein intake to an appropriate load so that they can actually have the appropriate hormone neurotransmitter responses. So they can have healthy skin, you know, hair, nails, bodily tissues. Or they dump a bunch of soy protein, which is, uh, you know, in Eastern culture is a condiment and in Western culture is a waste product. So they dump that in there. Um, yeah. To basically, hey, we're you know whatever the, the, the this waste in Western society usually ends up in your water or your food at some point, whether it's fluoride or whether it's uh, the seed oils or uh, you know soy protein. They're, we're going to show one study in postmenopausal women that showed a, a positive result for postmenopausal women, but we're going to give it to to everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about. Feel like i'm beating a dead horse but the way that the studies are gamed rigged manufactured engineered to suit the agendas of the powers that be is just i would actually say it's getting more and more obvious they're yeah. being even less subtle about it and it was a big I've, problem 10 20 30 years ago i've had a number of clients in the last couple of weeks reach out to me that used to think i was a lunatic because i was talking i've been talking about this stuff since like the mid-2000s yeah I saw a lot of stuff in my young age and I read a lot of things and talked to a lot of people. And, you know, I would, I would talk about a lot of these things that are happening and were going to happen. They'd be like, dude, there's no way, there's no way that'll ever happen. And they call me and they're like, dude, I can't believe you're actually right. <laughs> you know, they're like, it's happening, you know, and people are starting to see it. I mean, you can't hide it anymore. In fact, it's so obvious that they're not hiding it anymore. I know it. It's, it's like you're either going to follow our agenda or you're done. You know, like we're going to cut you off. And that's why it's so important to control what you can control, create community, uh, you know, eat simple food, try and buy things from local farmers, uh, support local farmers, really focus on getting outside because the sun is, is so protective to you and your biology. It is. Uh, you know, if there's one thing we see people who are struggling with their health not doing it's getting outside and and find a way to manage technology like make sure that you know simple things like you did like plugging a timer in right that turns off automatically if you're in the middle of a call you're in the middle of a call like that's just the way it goes like this is when we're done no more no more wi-fi right there's there's some technology that i'm trying uh gonna be trying here soon that i've heard a lot of good things from different people about that's supposed to help mitigate a lot of this stuff. So I'm going to be interested in trying that, but, you know, controlling it as much as you possibly can, especially by getting out in nature is going to make you more resilient than, than the majority of the population. Right. Exactly. Did you talk already about the, uh, the wireless transponders on the racehorses? I thought that was a really interesting story. No, I did not. Yeah. There's a question for you later when I you're ready. I see it. Yeah. So, um, so the, I saw this story yesterday. Jim had already heard about it. And that's what sparked our conversation about horses that he let off the, the, the recording today with. Uh, but horses, uh, as the article, and this article was comes from uh, Arthur Furstenberg. Uh, he writes a newsletter. It's Cell Phone Task Force, is I think what he calls it. And I found it through Tess Laurie over on Substack. If you want to know where I saw this and who I'm, who I'm reading. 
and the article was about um, deaths in racehorses at Churchill Downs in, in Kentucky. Uh, and I didn't even know that it was an old article or an old old story, but Jim ha has obviously roots in Kentucky and friends in Kentucky, as he mentioned. And so he knew about that story when it was breaking two, what, two three months ago, Jim? Yeah, whenever the Kentucky Derby was. Right, and it was a startling increase in the number of racehorses that either suffered an injury or, uh, or just collapsed and died and had to be euthanized, which is really sad. They're such beautiful animals. Everyone loves horses. Some people are rationally so. And what Furstenberg points out is that this is like the, the Mongols. The Mongols love their horses. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Furstenberg po points out is that this is the first time that these horses had been wearing wireless technology that was tracking their performance. This is one reason why you won't catch Jim or I wearing a fitness tracker that doesn't have an airplane mode. And I'll test my trackers, I'll test my devices and make sure they're not transmitting when I don't want them transmitting. You know, this is the aura ring on my on my finger and it's got a great airplane mode, runs for seven days without charging. And people, you know, think that, I mean, particularly when we started talking about this years ago, people thought we were nuts. But now you see more and more and more people who say things like, yeah, I turned off my Wi-Fi, I turned off this, I turned off that, and I felt so much better. And it's well, because of wearing how- my Apple Watch. Yeah, it's because of how bad the electro smog is getting in the environment. And, you know, people, the, the, this increase in deaths of these animals was very profound. It was something like a 12.5 fold increase. It's a very significant increase. And what I want people to know who are worried about the state of the world, who feel like there's nothing they can do, is to understand that when really bad things happen, like this incident at Churchill Downs, the best thing you can do is access the curiosity of the people who are trying to solve the problem and present them with a possible hypothesis. Most of them are gonna blow you off, get over it, move on, find somebody else. Because people who are going to survive are gonna be open-minded, they're gonna be critical thinkers, and they're gonna figure out what's actually good and what's bad, regardless of what the herd is doing. And those are the people you have to focus on because they end up becoming the leaders and the, the thinkers and the, and the people who define what becomes normal in society. We're unfortunately in, a, in a, a time when I think, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, where the reigning paradigm is really about to topple. You know, this whole idea that we can get away with infinite amounts of pharmaceutical drugs, of electromagnetic pollution, of chemical pollution of all kinds, heavy metals, petroleum toxins, biotoxins, all these things, you know, the, the public is waking up to the fact that this just isn't sustainable with life. And that's part of the infertility crisis is the infertility crisis is the rude awakening to those who really just don't want to look at how nature actually functions. And I talked about that in my bioidentical hormones masterclass on Monday and how the infertility uh, crisis is spurring the infertility industry, which has no incentive to cure infertility or prevent it. They have an incentive to deliver babies to people who are struggling with their fertility and the mat, the, 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 cost of that industry is insane. I mean, 50, $100,000 per kid. And it's set to, I mean, the growth in that industry is um, high single or, or low double digits, which is an incredible rate of growth. And people need to know that this is all, this all goes back to just very simple things applied consistently. Um, 
applied consistently throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout your life without compromise. Well, they're going to be pushing babies and petri dish here soon. They've already started to do that. You know, the designer, designer babies, you know, problem, solution, make money. Mm -hmm. um, and, and people are starting to realize that the endless money printing can't go on forever either. Right. You know, so there's a lot of paradigms that are starting to unravel. Unfortunately, many of the solutions that these uh, psychopaths are presenting uh, and actually make, Don't forget and narcissists. The narcissists and make the problem worse. Mm -hmm. You know, right. Like, let's let's block out the sun to fix climate change. Right. Or, you know, let's uh, let's force everyone to drive electric vehicles, which is actually harder on the environment than driving a gasoline vehicle. Right. Uh, you know, what most people don't understand it is it's not about the environment. It's about getting as many people away from having their own vehicle as possible, because if people right. don't have their own vehicle, that's it's so much easier to control people. And while we're busy ruining our chances of making it with the algorithm, with what we say, we'd love it if you would like our videos, share them, subscribe, uh, because otherwise, you know, people just don't find out about this stuff and then they get sick and die young and wonder why. Well, yeah. And, and then ask questions, you know, like the, the, the most important thing today is to keep yourself healthy enough that you can be a critical thinker and then mm -hmm. you just don't, you just don't run with the herd. Absolutely. Right? And, and that's the key, like everything in our society, the media, the phones, everything is to develop that fear porn herd mentality. Mm. So you, you literally have to work at choosing not to do that. And part of the way you do that is being mentally healthy, which comes from, getting outside, eating good food, having good friends. And then when you do talk to people, asking them questions, making them think, you know, that's all part of it. That's right. And also being uh, compassionate and patient with them when they choose not to think. Because if you're very harsh and you're cutting a lot of people off in a rude way, they're never gonna come back to you. You're actually worsening the chances of them ever figuring out what they're doing wrong and if you're patient with them and you're kind to them and you're understanding, eventually they'll come back to you and they'll say, you know what, you were right about that. And that's a key part of, of what Jim just alluded to minutes, minutes ago. He said, my clients from years ago who thought I was nuts started coming back to me recently and saying, you know, you were right about that. People don't do that if you're rude to them because it's embarrassing. Well, there's a dip. That was you a have to be gracious in order for people to admit that. That was a very different time too. That was 15, 20 years ago mm -hmm. when you could disagree with someone, even on a contentious issue. Sure. And they would just smile and go, I don't agree with you. Absolutely. Now, yeah. um, now if you disagree with somebody, they're not only going to be contentious, a lot of them will be hateful and call you all sorts of names. Right. Um, Clint, soy protein powders are rubbish, even non-GMO. Um, my personal opinion on that would be absolutely, especially if you're a dude, you don't want phytoestrogens. Uh, the worst thing you can do, if you want to really mess up your young child, give them formula with soy protein in it, like a male, not yeah. good. So, I mean, in small amounts, I mean, it's just it's just the worst form of protein that you could choose. You have to it's understand historically the context of this food. So it's a food that became popular in a place where population densities were extremely high where there was an abundance of sunlight so you could grow foods like this and where the population really didn't have great sources of protein and that meant that any kind of source of protein became something that people would gravitate to and so what did they do with soy 
they didn't eat soy raw. Eating soy raw is not a good strategy for health, especially in a world loaded with estrogen mimicking compounds that are already increasing that burden of toxic whatever on your endocrine system, right? So what did they do? They would ferment it. They would ferment it into natto. They would ferment it into miso. miso they would ferment it into tofu and they would ferment it into tempeh, if I'm you know, recalling correctly. And the key there is that when you ferment something, you break down a lot of the stuff in it that the plant loads into it to poison you. Because remember, plants don't make nuts and seeds and legumes for us to eat. They make them to make more plants. And this is one reason why you don't see people eating things like black bean sprouts. They're poison. You can get away with sprouting some nuts and seeds and eating them raw, largely because you're tricking the, the plant into germinating it. But this isn't across the board something that you can do. So would I eat soy protein powder if it was like the last food in the pantry? Sure, because I don't want to starve to death. But you're going to find that there is, and this also goes back to what Jim and I talk about all the time, which is what are your goals, right? If your goal is to gain mass, if your goal is to have, you know, a lot of muscular strength, uh, then I don't think soy protein powders are recommended by anyone who's, who's really serious and expert in the bodybuilding, powerlifting, weightlifting, weight training, whatever world. I think that's fair to say, isn't it, Jim? It's very fair to say, yes. And there are vegan bodybuilders out there who will do it with soy protein. And good luck to them. Um, they're never there also gonna... might be a few other factors as well involved there. Ah, you mean the performance-enhancing drugs, Jim? Yes. Are you suggesting that people drugs. are telling people that they can eat things to look a certain way when in fact they don't, don't actually – it's not actually possible to just eat that a certain way to look a certain way? You have to use performance-enhancing drugs? Well, yeah, like certain primal people that make a lot of noise and scream a lot. Oh, boy. What a funny yeah. world we live in. Well, you know, it's really funny because he he claims he's primal and he, he you know, basically said he was natural for years and years and years. Yeah. And then finally, he consulted with a with a coach that I know that outed him mm -hmm. um, and he was taking massive amounts of performance right. as drugs. Not only right. that, is he was eating massive amounts of all the foods he says not to eat. Uh -huh. Um, because eating the prime, do, having a primal lifestyle, you are going to look nothing like that. Right. You look at the Maasai, the Maasai are incredibly lean. The Maasai, the average BMI might be like 19. Well, they're not incredibly jacked. They're lean, right. they're muscular, but they're not super physiologically And they have jacked. a very high density of mitochondria. Right. And that's the difference between having muscles that look big, but can't do a lot of work and having muscles that are lean and toned but can do far more work because they have a higher mitochondrial density. Well, it's a total disadvantage. Like even for me, it's, if in a survival situation, I'm at a huge disadvantage because I have such higher energy demands. Right. Like if you're, if you look like a pro bodybuilder in a survival situation, you're finished. Like mm -hmm. you're, you're not going to make it. You want to be a smaller, like that's why all these, you know, uh, people from Nepal and all these different places, they're really hot and, and there's not a lot of food. They're tiny people. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just like the Corolla versus the Mack truck, right? If there's a fuel shortage, you want the Corolla, not the Mack truck. Right. right? So it's, so it's, it's really interesting that the, you know, people, you know, people, and two, I get frustrated with 
you know, people on Instagram that are Photoshopping their photos and they're, Lies. they're telling people I did Lies. this. Guy. Celebrities is the worst is the worst because you got these celebrities like, what did I do? I trained three times a day. I ate chicken and rice for four months and I turned into this beast and they didn't tell you about all the pharmaceuticals they did. Right. For them to get away with that. Right. That's exactly. Normal right. People think that they just need to eat chicken and rice and train multiple times a day. And then they end up with a, a in a train wreck because they're not honest. That's it. Well, and that's one more thing about the horse industry. One of the things that's also hurt the horses is the actual removal of performance enhancing drugs from their training protocol. Really? Because what happens is when you're under a lot of stress and it's the same for humans. Yeah. You start when you're under a lot of stress and you're training really hard, your appetite at a certain point starts to go down. So these horses are training really hard. They're under a lot of stress. Their appetite starts going down. So things like anabolics like equipoise actually increase appetite and would keep these horses eating. Hmm. And they would also help them recover faster. It's kind of like, you know, these athletes that are traveling all around the world and they're having to take weed to sleep. And then, you know, their hormones start going in the tank. So they start taking a little testosterone or growth hormone to help them recover. So what happens is if you're constantly beat up, 